The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. He has defeated the powers of death. Alleluia. Jesus turns our sorrows into dancing. Alleluia. He has the words of eternal life. Alleluia. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A phrase that we hear over and over again in our readings this morning is this word, the world. And so I think that it's important for us to point out that in in the church in general, and in our church specifically, we refer to the world in two different ways. A lot of times when in our, especially in our liturgy, when we talk about the world, what we're referring to are the forces and the powers in the culture around us that have allied themselves with the forces and powers of the kingdom of darkness. And so when we talk about the world, oftentimes we're talking about those parts of the world around us that try to keep us away from God's healing, from His grace, from His forgiveness, that try to keep us enslaved in darkness and away from the kingdom of light. But the other way that we talk about the world is by referring to the culture. Our communities all have cultures. In fact, many of our neighborhoods even have their own cultures. Those basic uh, practices, those basic ways of behaving. Uh, our, Our church community has a culture. The families that we grew up in have a culture. And all of those are just part of the world that is around us. And it's important for us to be able to distinguish between those two separate ways that we talk about the world. Now, typically in, in churches, and, and historically, at least for Christians, Christians have had 
three separate ways that they have approached interacting with the world. I've been reading, uh, during, during Lent and then into Easter, I've been reading and studying the book of Hosea. And I'm hopeful that at some point in the near future, I will have a, um, an in-depth study that I'll be able to share so that we can all dive into the book of Hosea because it's a powerful story. But there's something that happens in Hosea that is worth pointing out because one of the ways that we interact with the world around us is by simply allowing, uh, allowing ourselves to consume and to embody everything that happens around the world. It's, uh, it's, it, it's uncritically embracing the the values of the culture that is around us. We simply just gather it all in and allow it to shape us and to form us without ever saying, I wonder if those stories that are being told by this marketing campaign or by this television program or by this internet, uh, this internet ad, I wonder if the stories that those are telling are true. And do they reflect the values of God's kingdom? And it's so easy for us because we're just constantly inundated by noise from the culture around us to just embrace all of that and then to just allow the culture to shape who we are. That happens in the book of Hosea over and over again. And the prophet is constantly calling God's people away from just simply embracing everything in the culture and saying, we are called to be a holy people. That word holy doesn't mean special and it doesn't mean good. It means separate. It means set apart. We're called to be different. We're not called to be like the world around us. We're called to be a light in the midst of darkness, to reflect the light of Christ. But there is another way that we as Christians have typically talked about and interacted with the world. And I thought of this because this week I I just finished reading the book of Genesis. And at the end of Genesis, Joseph, just before he dies, uh, he, he is met again by his brothers. And you remember that he has a bunch of brothers and there's all kinds of conflict in Joseph's family. But the brothers finally come to him and they ask for his forgiveness. It doesn't happen until the very, very, very end of the story. The last chapter of the book of Genesis, his brothers finally come to him and beg for his forgiveness. And he says something to them that is powerful. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. It's a powerful statement that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our hurt, God is at work right now redeeming his creation. That's a word that I need to hear this week. That's a word that I need to hear in the midst of, uh, in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of shutdown, in the midst of economic collapse, that what the culture, what the, the powers of darkness intended for evil, God is right now at work redeeming. That's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus Christ. What we see revealed in the person of Jesus Christ is that that in the midst of awfulness, God is unraveling the brokenness of the world around us. That we can look into even the hardest places of our lives and find God there. It doesn't make the bad things okay. I want to be clear on that point. It doesn't mean that the bad things are okay because God is at work. It means that we are not alone. It means that you are not alone. But sometimes we say that phrase, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And what ends up happening as we tell that story 
is that the we we're, what we're saying is that the culture around us is evil. And so what God is going to do is he's going to bring good out of it. It's not redeemable, but God is going to be victorious at the end of the story. Now, it is absolutely true that there is irredeemable brokenness in the world around us. That if God is just, God is going to condemn injustice and oppression and wickedness. That's part of what it means for us to be holy. It means that we're set apart from all of the things that don't belong to God. But it doesn't mean that the people that we encounter in our daily walk are evil and wicked and broken. They may be enslaved to evil and wickedness and brokenness. But it's tempting for us to look at the world around us and say, well, that's evil. Maybe I'll go in there and see if God can do good things. Maybe, I know that, I, I know that you know, this particular part of my community is broken and, and, and just full of wickedness, but maybe I can go over there and I can just be uh, a, a light and I can see if God will, will bring, bring goodness out of that terrible situation. Do you see the difference there? The problem is that it puts us at odds with our neighbors. We imagine that the things that are happening in the world around us are broken, and so we just have to look for the things that God is doing. We just have to go to those places and say, well, I wonder where it is that God is going to bring good. Hopefully, he'll use me to bring good into those bad people's lives. Hopefully, I can be uh, a gift to those people. But I want you to listen again to this story that we read from the book of Acts. Now, Paul has been journeying and planting churches all throughout, we call it Asia Minor, but it's basically the coast of, of Turkey. So, so he's, been, he's been journeying along the Mediterranean coast of Turkey, planting churches in all of the major cities that he's gone to, and now he finally arrives in Greece. He's journeyed out of the, the barbarian lands, and now he's in Greece, the center of culture. And he's in the city of Athens. And in Athens, there is a mountain where all of the philosophers gather together to hold debates. It's called Mars Hill. In, in Greek, it's the Areopagus. So he goes there, and he begins to proclaim the gospel to them. But you notice what he says. As he goes there, he finds the entire city is just filled with idols. And when he goes to talk to the people that live in that, in, in that community, the people who are a part of that culture, he doesn't say to them, you guys are way into idols, and that's fine. Okay? He doesn't say that the kind of culture that they've embraced is okay. But he also doesn't go in there and say, wow, you guys are just enslaved to demons. That's all that, that, that's all that I can say about you. Maybe God will do some good here in, in just a minute because you guys are just terrible people. And I don't, I, I don't even know how I can share the gospel with you. No, the question that Paul asks, and this is so important for us to hear, the question that Paul asks as he goes into that place is not how can God make good happen in this bad place among these bad people. The question that Paul asks is where is God? Paul says, where is God? He says, as I was walking through your, your temples, I found, I found out that you guys are very religious, and that's very important to you. And among all of those altars, I found an altar to a God just in case you had missed one. So since you don't know who God is, 
Let me tell you about him. He assumes that the truth is important to them. He assumes when he goes into this situation that these people want to hear about who God is and what God is doing. The assumption that he makes is that God is at work in Athens, among all of that idolatry, among all of those pagan rituals and rites, among all of that brokenness and all of that oppression, that God is there, and that while God is there, God is at work bringing people to himself, calling people to himself. That's the assumption that Paul makes when he goes to the Areopagus, as he wanders around. He goes to seek out the faithful people, and then he goes into the pagan places, and he says, where is God at work. That is incarnational thinking. Incarnational thinking. That word incarnation means becoming human. It means means taking on our humanity. God became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, not just so that you and I could be saved for heaven. God became one of us to make us whole so that he could begin the work of restoring his creation. That's what God's doing. That's what God is always doing. God is always everywhere at work restoring his creation. Because he said that his creation is good. He said that the world is good. In spite of the things that we've done to and with his creation. In spite of the things that we've done to and with the world. God says it is good. And God is at work and longs to be at work restoring creation because creation was always intended to be the temple where we would meet God. Paul says, and perhaps seeking him, find him. That was always the purpose of the world. And that continues to be God's purpose for the world. God is at work restoring the world around us. God is at work restoring his temple. That's the story of St. Aidan. St. Aidan doesn't go into, into these areas that are full of pagans, just total, complete pagans. He doesn't go into those places and assume that he's at war with them, either physically or spiritually. No, he goes into these places and he builds churches and he builds homes. He goes into these places knowing that God is at work. And so he lives and works and worships God right there in the midst of all of this other kinds of brokenness. And the question for us today is how do we view our neighbors? Obviously, I'm interested in how we view our actual neighbors, the people who live near us. But when Jesus talks about neighbors, he talks about them in a larger context, doesn't he? When Jesus asks us, how are we treating our neighbors? The thing that he wants to know is, how do we react to all of the faces that we meet every single day? What are the assumptions that we carry with us that we lay on top of all of the faces that we meet throughout the day? Our neighbors who live in our homes with us, our neighbors who live in our neighborhoods with us, our neighbors who are in the car driving next to us or ahead of us or behind us, our neighbors in the supermarket, 
our neighbors in the workplace? Do we simply uncritically embrace all of the things that they're doing, all of the behaviors that they embody? Do we assume that they're an obstacle that we need to overcome so that we can see what God is doing? Or do we imagine that each of those faces reflects to us in some way God's face and that you and I are called to reflect the face of God to them? Do you hear what Jesus says in his gospel today? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Jesus says that as he's sitting there with his disciples at the Last Supper. This is his farewell discourse. We're still reading from the end of John's gospel. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But Jesus has already told us what it looks like to love. He says it looks like loving the way that I love. Pouring out everything that he has, everything that he is, holding nothing back, expecting nothing in return. A new commandment I give you, he says, that you love one another as I have loved you. If you love me, you'll keep my commandment. And my commandment is this, that you love the way that I love. The love of Jesus embraces the least and the last and the lost and the marginalized. The love of Jesus is about finding what's lost, about healing what's lost, about comforting what's lost, about restoring what's lost. And the invitation of Jesus today is to join him in that work, that work of healing and restoring and comforting and finding. That work of restoring the temple that he calls good. The work of restoring humanity that he's revealing to us in himself. His invitation to us today is to join him in this work that he begins in our gospel lesson and that through the Holy Spirit, he continues today right here in our midst, right here in Nicholasville, right there in the living rooms where you guys are watching this. His invitation to you today is to reflect his love into every face that you meet. That's Jesus' commandment. That's the gospel, to reflect the love of Jesus to every single face that we meet. His invitation is to join him in the work that he is accomplishing, to become incarnations of God in the midst of our communities, in the midst of our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our families. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, 
have mercy on us. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.